Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here today. We hope that you are encouraged by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. Well, we've been in the book of Acts and we're continuing. It's a long book. We're going to try and get through it by the end of the summer. So that's our goal. We're going to build uh, our strategy to do that. But I'm going to skip a stone across a couple chapters today. And I just need you to stick with me. But before I even start this sermon, turn to the person next to you and say, this sermon is totally for you. You'll be thankful you said that in a minute because you're going to be like, yeah, it's not me. I don't want anything to do with this sermon. So it's all good. So, so I want you to understand the message of, 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 of Christianity is growing in our book of Acts. We're learning the story. And guys, I don't think we realize how utterly um, discombobulating the message in the book of Acts was. Like, for generations upon generations, the religious world was, uh, you know, hearing uh, their message was, if you obey the law and do all these things, you will be right with God. And then suddenly this, this preacher comes and says, nothing you do will make you right with God except trusting the work that God has done for you. And so suddenly this message begins to offend and shake the religious world. You need to understand that. That's what we've been going through in the book of Acts. And so we're, we're seeing this stretching, this coming, this, this shaking that's going down. And, you know, to be told that you have to place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that's where you begin the journey of your salvation, the wholeness that God is calling you to. And you have to understand the Old Testament, they had over 600 laws, and Jesus basically summarized them in this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now live. That's it? Yeah, that's it. Okay, so they're moving on. But then, it, guys, now it's expanding, expanding beyond Judaism, expanding beyond the, the effect that it was having on the religious world, and it's beginning to affect the irreligious world or beginning to affect the Gentile world, the world that didn't follow these laws to begin with. And so, you know, now all of a sudden the message goes to these people and says, you too can be right with God. And as a matter of fact, that's even revolutionary, the fact that there is a God and you need to be right with Him. And so, guys, what I'm trying to get, get you to grasp is that Christianity is like the equal opportunity offender. Jesus offends the religious world and He offends the irreligious world. And, and what is that offense? Why is there such an offense that comes? You know, it's interesting. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch in Acts chapter 11. And we found out a while ago that there, only three times in the Bible is the word Christian used. Only three times. And guess how many times the word disciple is used? Hundreds of times. And in fact, in the New Testament, it's over 260 times the word disciple is used. So you understand God, when he's saying uh, you're a Christian, his understanding is that you're a disciple. A lot of people say, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but they don't live like disciples. You think the Bible has more to say to discipleship than Christians? Mm, yep, he does. Oh, let's get there. Okay, we're, we're going to go through it here. What's the problem? What's so offensive about the gospel? 
Well, it confronts us right where we live. It confronts us at the center of our being. You see, it's in the gospel that we discover whether we are self-centered or God-centered. So understand, the, the religious world is being shaken. It's being challenged because they are self-righteous, and the center is still self. Are you following what I'm saying? But the irreligious world is being challenged because they are selfish, which is still the center is still self. So whether you're self-righteous or whether you're selfish, the gospel has something to say to you. And that's where we're going to look at today. But I need to pray because we're going to be asking a question of all of you today in a few minutes. And the question is going to be this. You may be self-centered if. And then we're going to look at several things. Again, turn to the person next to you and say this message. No, you won't want to do that right now. Just hang in there. But let's pray. Father God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your power and your presence among us, Lord. God, we desperately need to be free from self. And that is the message of the gospel. Hallelujah, Jesus, you came to set me free from me. And I just want to say thank you. Give us eyes to see now, Lord, ears to hear, to really truly be open to your Holy Spirit. Lead us and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the leaders of the religious world, let's start with them because the whole front end of the book of Acts is hitting that, those leaders. We've talked about them before. Uh, Pastor Mitch did a great job a few weeks ago talking about the Pharisees, and, and I'd encourage you to listen to that message again. But, you know, we, we're, we're finding out that these guys called the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they make up the religious elite of, of Jerusalem. They are the ones who lead the nation of Israel really spiritually. And let's understand who these guys are. The Pharisees, their very word mean Pharisee means separated ones. They are not only separated from the world, they're separated from other Jews. They're like, if you really are a serious Jew, then you have to be a Pharisee. And so they not only obeyed, tried to obey the 600 laws that are in the Old Testament, they added more. Like, who wants to join that church? There's 600 laws, but here's the other 400 that we've added. Okay, we'll get there. I'll give you the address of that church in a minute. We'll get there in a second. No. Okay, guys, are you following with me? So these Pharisees, these guys, these separated ones, they're the rulers of the nation. And then there's the Sadducees. And the Sadducees are these guys that we need to understand. We're going to talk about them in a minute, but let me read this scripture first in Matthew 16. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They thought Jesus was talking about bread, but he wasn't. They discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. (laughs) Jesus corrects that, and then he ends with, then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay, so the Pharisees are teaching this self-righteous religion of obedience to the law. And look, at I'm, I thank God that I'm not uh, a woman, they would say. I thank God that I'm not a Gentile, and I thank God that I'm not a dog. That's literally what they would pray every morning. I'm okay, terrible. That's what they would do. Are you following what I'm saying? So these guys thought they were perfect in the eyes of the Lord. They lived up to these laws. 
And of course, Jesus dealt with them continually in his life. Sadducees were the very wealthy elite class. Um, They did not believe in anything supernatural. They did not believe in the afterlife. They did not believe in judgment after death. They, they have this kind of one-and-done philosophy. Live your life. If you're blessed by God, you'll be prospered. And anything wrong in your life, it's because you've done something wrong or some kind of sin. And they, they had this philosophy of life, and they were kind of very selfish. The Pharisees were very self-centered, self-righteous. The Sadducees were very selfish. But the root of both of them was self. Are you following me? So then I told you I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to rapid-fire these questions, so hang in there. Just make a mental check mark if you think, yeah, maybe I'm guilty of that. Here we go. You may be self-centered if you are more concerned with how you look on the outside rather than who you are on the inside. In other words, are you acting like you're a Christian or are you becoming more Christ-like? Okay? Told you. Interesting sermon. Matthew 23. The religious scholars and the Pharisees are competent teachers in God's law, Jesus said. You won't go wrong in following their teachings on Moses, but be careful about following them. They talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polish and veneer. Wow. You ever get that moment of feeling when you're standing next to Jesus? Like, Jesus, what you're saying is offending me? Anybody ever had that discussion with the Lord? Like, <laughs> maybe, maybe you should pause. Just saying, okay, you're, you're, you're doing a check mark. You're saying, did I fall here? See, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. And when we're lacking peace and joy in our life, you know, that's what the apostle Paul asked the Galatians. Where is all your joy? They started to follow a legalistic rule system that stole their joy, and, and, and the apostle Paul brought them back on course and said, you guys... This is not the message of the gospel. It's not about acting like Jesus. It's about becoming like Jesus. Okay, so here's the second thing. Here's the second thing. You may be self-centered if you're more judgmental on others than yourself. Do you ever find yourself listening to a message and all you do is think about the people that this applies to in your life? Anybody else ever done that? Like, man, this, I know who needs to hear this word man, I wish my husband was here. I wish my wife was here. Maybe the Lord is trying to say, hold up a mirror, okay? Again, equal opportunity offense. Everybody's going to be offended by the end of this message. So just hang in there. I mean, you know, Jesus warns us in Matthew 23. He's talking about these Pharisees, these religious leaders. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's soldiers, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to help move them. And I think that sometimes the church, we're guilty of that, guys. We're more judgmental on others than we are on ourselves, and even, even in our world today. By the way, P.S., I'm going to tell you something. Don't expect the world to act like Jesus. Has anybody figured that out yet? You know, we make these judgments in our mind like they're so unchristlike. Yes, they don't know Him, and they're not following Him. So... <laughs> By essence of who they are, they are unchristlike. Making sense. Okay, here we go. You may be self-centered. Ready for the next one? Uh, you think God is just like you. Whoo! 
Guys, this is the, okay, let me just read the word. I'll let the word speak to you. Here we go. Psalm 50, verse 20. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you to your face. <laughs> Amen? That's in another version. I'll rebuke you and set things in order. Okay, when did Jesus come and rebuke these guys to their face? Okay, I mean, it, guys, read your New Testaments. Like, he goes to these Pharisees, these religious leaders, these teachers of the law, and he says, woe to you, Pharisees and teachers of the law. Seven woes, like, just like boom, boom, boom. You guys swallow a camel full of junk and you strain out a gnat. And he's hammering on these people. Are you following what I'm saying? It's difficult. It's challenging. This is the, what Jesus comes into. You ever been bullied by a religious bully? It's not a fun spirit to deal with when people think they're better than everybody else. By the way, that's not just about being in the church. That's in the world too, isn't it? We see that controlling thought. So which is my next thought. You may be self-centered if you're wanting to control others rather than to help others. Wow. You see, God <laughs> set us free in order to better control ourselves for the sake of others, but not control others for our own sake. And we live in a world that not only are people controlling, but do you know we live in a world where people are inviting control? You know, one of the things that drives me crazy about politics, I know we have an election coming up. I, I really don't want the government giving me handouts and controlling my life. I just want them to let me be free to live my life. Amen. That's the job I want them to do, okay? So, anyway, I'm just going to say that. Let me, this is what Jesus says. Let's let him talk because Pastor Greg's going to get run over here. Come on, brother. Thank you. I feel free now. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus warns us of. Don't let people do that to you. Now he's speaking first to what? Don't let them put you on a pedestal like that. You have a single teacher and you're all classmates. Don't let people set you up as, don't let, don't set people up as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let Him tell you what to do. Amen? Hallelujah. So guys, we're, we're all in this together. I have no desire to control your lives. I just am in charge of my, my own. Jesus, I balance my checkbook. Woo! Like a victory in Jesus. Amen? I'm dealing with me. But you have to deal with you. And God's going to help you do that. Amen? That's the beautiful thing. Hallelujah. Listen to this story from Acts 13. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he was wanting to hear the word of the Lord, the gospel. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. 
Church, when people are coming to know Jesus Christ, liberty is coming to their life, freedom. And people who are in a controlling position in those people's lives will often try and do things to put them back under bondage and in control. Are you following what I'm saying? I've seen it many times, you guys. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is what Elemas is doing. He's like, I'm losing my meal ticket. I'm not going to let the pro-council li- listen to this message about freedom. He needs to be under my control and under my thumb. I remember I was preaching one time, and I preached a message similar to this. And I had a, a, a lady come up to the altar, to, and I was standing there to pray for her. And as I was praying for her, her husband came and stood right behind her. Now, that would be Okay. That'd be great. You should stand and support your wife. But I'm going to tell you right now, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said he's controlling her. And you could see her deflated. And I said, why why are you here for prayer? She wouldn't even share with me. And he stood there looking all pompous. The spirit of control is a religious spirit. I've said to this (laughs) to you before. The least controlling person in the gospel is God. He lets you do what, he will let you do whatever you want, but he will warn you and tell you, don't do this or it's going to hurt your life. Okay, here we go. You may be self-centered if your emotional world doesn't show the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Church, I'm seeing so many believers today that are so angry. They're so angry at the world. They're so angry at the government. They're so angry, angry, angry. And they think, God's just like me. He's angry too. Well, I'm telling you, God loves the world. He loves people. And you know that your anger will not work the righteousness of God? The Bible says that. It just, it won't change things. So you have to find a new position, a new plower, a new place in somewhere in the middle. Okay, moving right along. How are you doing on the checklist? Turn to the person next to you. I told you this sermon was for you. Okay, here we go. You're only concerned about your world, but not others. Which kind of goes back to what we just said. You see, the Jewish people were being greatly discomforted by the message of the gospel. And even those that became believers, even though they became believers, they wanted to hang on to their old religion still. Because, you know, when you've worked so hard to live up to 600 laws to be told that that's all garbage and junk and you just have to trust God, how many of you know that's not an easy transition? So this is what happens Acts chapter 11, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Hallelujah! No. When Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went to the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with him? Not people got saved. People got set free. The power of the Holy Spirit delivered people. The Gentiles, you and I, the gospel's open to. Amen and amen. You ate with an uncircumcised man? Okay. Okay, okay, okay. 
So your religious world is about to get disturbed. <laughs> what are we going to do? What are we going to do in about the next three to five years when the social experiment of gender and identity hits the church? And I don't mean hits the church like we're going to change this. I mean hits the church and these people whose lives have been destroyed are now looking for hope and restoration and hope in, in something other than what they bought when they were 17 years old in their high schools. Who's coming into the church? It may disturb your religious world, guys. Okay? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Sing with me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. No, they're like, I'm in desperate need of hope. I've got nowhere else to turn. You see, the, these believers were having their little world shaken. They thought, well, I'll accept Jesus, but I still want to hang on to my little way of doing things. In my little group, that's all that's allowed in the circle. We're the only ones in the club, remember? No, the door of the kingdom is kicked wide open. Come on in, everybody. Come on in. Hallelujah. You clap now. Remember this moment. <laughs> okay, just remember this, guys. In the kingdom of our Father, people belong before they become. You get born again. You ask Jesus to come into your heart. You are translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You're adopted into his family. How many know that's good news? But how many also know that even though I've become a child of God and I'm a new creation, I don't instantly become like Jesus? That's what discipleship is all about. It's why our second value as a church is to, you know, accept ourselves and others while we pursue maturity together. That's a value. So in other words, take people right where they're at and help them to walk the next step. Church, listen to me. You're going to have to get used to the fact that in your own life and in others' lives that you may be an F- when you come to God, a total loser failure still. But God's like, let's work on you becoming a D. You're still a failure. But God's with you. He's a good father. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm walking with you. I'm walking with you. Let's, go, let's, get, let's take this on. Then you become a C, and it's like, wow, you just, you've got a passing grade now. Okay. <laughs> you may be self-centered if you're happy with the benefits of the gospel, but you're unwilling to pay the price. You say the gospel's free, Pastor Greg. Yeah, it's free, but it costs you everything. <laughs> Sorry, we, we kind of told a fib. Come on in. 
Yeah, it's going to cost you everything. <laughs> it's going to... Oh, Jesus. Okay. Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas, listen to this, are in Leicester and Derby. They've been chased out of other places because people are accepting the gospel, but many are not. Now, let me read it. I'm going to read a portion of Scripture. It's Acts 14. It's not going to come up on the screen, but let me just read it to you. When the crowd saw that Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gate because they in the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas responded when they heard this, friends, why are you doing this? We are humans just like you. We are bringing you the good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Even with those words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Now, the story doesn't end there. Here's the last verse, which ends the story. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Wow. One minute. We're going to worship you. You're a god. No, we're going to kill you. Do you want why Jesus says, I will trust myself to no man because he knows what's in the heart of every man? Like, does it sound familiar? Jesus like, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Crucify him. A week later. Guys, how many of you figured out watching your social media stuff that we are the most fickle, ridiculous human things ever in the world? That we can be swayed on stuff and you're like, what is going on with humanity? Our only hope is to center ourselves on God. Amen? Okay. Okay, I told you. Interesting. I didn't talk about pride, unteachableness, always right, often jealous, often criticizing, unforgiving, not generous. You may be self-centered if any of those words just described you. Please don't leave us right now, Pastor Greg. Tell us the solution to this. Amen? Listen to Acts 13. The Jews saw the crowds. They were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Acts 14. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned the minds against the brothers. You know what I love about Barnabas and Paul? <laughs> they just got up and went to the next city and preached again. They got rejected. They just got up and kept on going. They just got up and they didn't try to soften anything. They didn't try to say, it's okay to be selfish and self-centered. Just, you know, I get it. No, the gospel, they just preached it and it, it, it brought converts and many people who turned to God and it brought people who turned away from God. There was no middle ground with the gospel. Okay. Hallelujah. Well, what did I say? You may be self-centered if you are. More concerned about how you look on the outside than who you are on the inside. More judgmental on others than yourself. You think God is just like you, wanting to control others rather than help others. Lacking the fruit of the Spirit. Only concerned about your world but not about others. Happy with the benefits of the gospel but unwilling to pay the cost. But here's the real question. Please don't leave yet. How do we move from being self-centered to becoming God-centered? 
Because this is the constant journey of the human race and certainly of believers. Now, in this room right now, there are three groups of people. You are one of these three, okay? There's no fourth option. I'm going to tell you what those three are, and I, somebody's going to bring up my chair for me, and I got a, a, an illustration I want to show you. I've shown you this before, but we're going to do it again. Who are these three groups? Thanks, Peter. Isn't Pastor Peter awesome? He is. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 2. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things. So there's two groups of people, those who have the Spirit and those who do not, those who have a relationship with God and those who do not. So in this illustration, we're going to look at it in a minute, um, but I'm going to tell you who the third group is in a minute, but you're one of those two right now. Somebody in here, you're spirit-led, you have a relationship with God. We'll call this Bible, uh, this is God, uh, this is Jesus. The chair represents the rulership of your life, and the stage represents your entire life, okay? So either Jesus is in your life, or he's not. Betty, I'm going to toss you that. Ready? Good. Um, so this is the non-Christian, okay? So we see the Christian and the non-Christian, okay? Remember, the stage is your life, the throne of your life. Jesus is out of your life. You're not a Christian. You can change that in an instant, in a moment. Hang on, I'm going to give you a chance. Here's the third group of people, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as babes in Christ, for you are still carnal for there is envy and strife and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Your Bible might say fleshly. So there's the third group of people. There is the Christians, those who have invited Christ into their heart. Those, there are the non-Christians, those who do not have a relationship with God. But the third group of people are the carnal Christians. Let me explain to you, Betty, uh, what that is. And everybody else, Betty's going to listen, but you can too. Okay. So as a Christian, as a Christian, Jesus is in my life. Everybody following along? This is my life, my eating, sleeping, drinking, going to work life, getting out of bed life. This is all of my life, this whole stage. This is how rules my life. Now Jesus, as a Christian, when I invite him in, he is in my life. But if he's in that position and I'm in this position, I'm a carnal or fleshly Christian. Does that make sense? Jesus is in my life. It's not that you're not saved, okay? You're saved, but you're ruling your own life. Jesus is just like Sunday Jesus. I like having Sunday Jesus. Sunday Jesus is, the songs are nice. I feel good. I like Sunday Jesus, but Monday I'll come back on next Sunday, Jesus, but you're, you're on the floor. I'm ruling. Anybody following along? Okay. Okay. So here I go. In an instant, I can make a change. If you're a non-Christian, you can invite Jesus into your life today. It's that simple. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Wow. In an instant, 
you can move from a non-Christian to a Christian. But also in an instant, I can move from a carnal Christian or a fleshly Christian to a spirit-led Christian. And that's what we're going to look at in just a second here, where Jesus is on the throne of your life. Because how many of you know there are many times in my life and in your life where I just say to Jesus, um, thank you, but I, I want to do what I want to do. Jesus, how'd you get on the floor? You pushed me off, Greg. Well, how do I know I pushed you off? Because I'm starting to lose my peace. I'm starting to lose my joy. Sin is fun for a season, but if the season comes to an end and it brings destruction, <laughs> it's there, guys. It's right here. And so God is calling the body of Christ right now to a point of where Jesus is not only Savior, but Lord. Okay? Now, in an instant, you can move from those two things. That's a good news for you. How do we change now, Pastor Greg? Isaiah 30, 15 gives us some, some instruction there. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Repentance and rest. The word repentance means to turn back. Turn back to the starting point. Come back to the beginning. Well, what's the beginning? When I got saved, the beginning was to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Now come into my life. Amen? But how many of you know repentance, and I'm not talking about for salvation, but asking forgiveness. When I'm in relationship with somebody, how many of you know I still blow it often? And I can't just say, well, I repented once. I have said sorry once, and if I, if I, you know, I don't need to say it again. No! I blow it all the time with my wife. And I say, honey, I'm sorry, but you married me. This is what you knew you were getting when you got into this. <laughs> anyway. So when Greg Fraser makes a mistake and he removes God from the throne, how does he fix it? Does he promise to work harder? Does he promise to keep the law? Or does he just say, God, I'm sorry. That's your place, Lord, in my life. Now, how many of you know Greg Fraser has to do that several times a day? It's just the way it is. That guy drove, you don't know how much that guy ticked me off when he drove, Pastor Greg. I get it. It was me. I was the one driving. <laughs> right? Like, I saw you flip me the bird. I saw that. <laughs> and then you realized it was me. <laughs> anyway. Oh, Lord. Repentance, church. I don't die to self by trying harder, but by acknowledging my utter need of God daily. Hallelujah. Rest means lie down, be in submission, live in an abiding relationship with Christ. Quietness and trust is your strength. Quietness just means to settle and be still. Church, you live in a constant partnership with God. 
This is the Christian life. It's the with God life. It's not the things we do in order to be right with God. It's the things we do because we are right with God. Amen? That's why you come to church. That's why you read your Bible. That's why you you give. That's why you you pray. That's why you do all those things because, Lord, you are the Lord of my life and I want to abide in that place and that relationship. And everything in this world is pulling you and trying to get you to push God off the throne. That's what the world is doing, church. That's what your flesh is doing. That's what the devil is doing. You need to be settled on this. Hallelujah. You're in constant partnership. I love Psalm 23. Think about how God meets us in Psalm 23. I'm going to read it to you. The Lord is, this is from the Passion. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. It's about re- relationship and provision. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. He tr- his tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's about rest and rejuvenation. That's where he restores and revives my life and opens up before me the pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so I can bring honor to his name. That's about healing and life. Lord, even when your paths take me through the valley of the deepest darkness, fear will not conquer me for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I will never be lonely for you are near. Amen. It's about testing and the things that life brings at us, church. Living and abiding in the protection of God. You become my delicious feast when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit and give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. That's about consecration. Why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursues me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. How many of you know that encompasses all of life, that psalm? Every aspect of life is encompassed in that psalm. Your trials, your tribulations, your rest, your provision, your trust, everything. Guys, being a Christian doesn't make life easier. It just gives you a partnership in life while you go through the hard things that you go through. Amen? Thanks for joining us today. If you want more information, please visit our website, tfhchurch.ca, and we'll see you next week.